0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is draft weekend, it is upon us, Monday and Tuesday, the Young Hopefuls will be looking to get into the NHL, and there's no better person to sit down with than Ryan Van Horn and talk about the Q League, the O, and the players looking to get in. Ryan, how's your day going today?
1: Uh, Going pretty well, actually. I'm just doing some research for the draft, uh, reading some uh, prospect uh, profiles and some some draft guides. Uh, I'm a pretty avid reader when it comes to this stuff, and this is... uh, I always say this is like Christmas. Uh, the draft day is always like Christmas for me.
0: Well, for me, I look forward to I love the season. I love trade deadline. Um, I love the draft. I love free agency. But the draft is just so exciting because you get basically all of those elements in one. You get players being traded. You get players being drafted. You know, moves up and down the draft board, surprises and different things. And, you know, every year everyone says, oh, it's a deep draft or this is a can't-miss draft. For you, this year here with the COVID and with everything going on, there seems to be a lot of prominent players, at least within the top fifteen of this draft. Um, is this for you one of those years where you say would a, is a deeper draft?
1: It does seem to me to be a pretty deep draft, especially some of the forward group. Uh, there's uh, and and there's some some interesting prospects. You know, uh, you know, a lot of movement in the uh, in that top eight to ten range. Um, with some of the forwards, and an interesting debate going on. Um, you know, everybody's a, you know, saying Alexi Lafreniere is a slam dunk number one pick, and I think he's probably going to go number one. But there's an interesting discussion to be had. What about Quentin Byfield? Does he possibly have more upside? And that's one of the things that I, you know, I think there's a there's a pretty good argument to be made. Especially where Quinton is on the younger side uh, of his draft class, you know, like toward the young, among the younger people being drafted uh, next Tuesday. You know, you got to think about upside. What's the player going to be like in five years? Uh, don't don't get me wrong. Alexi Lafreniere is going to be a great NHLer. Um, but I think uh, it's to me, it's not as clear cut who the number one is as some people suggest, which is why I can't even fathom. Los Angeles taking anybody other than which of those two doesn't go number one uh, as much as I like Tim Stitchley and as exciting a player as he seems to be I just don't see the upside with him as as, uh, as you see with uh, Lafreniere and Byfield um, so there's a, there's a, there's a couple of interesting discussions there as well as the wild card with the goalie the Russian goalie Yaroslav Oskarov where is he going to go uh, everybody says he's the greatest goalie prospect since Carey Price, and as anybody who remembers 2005, the Canadians shocked the hockey world when they took Carey Price fits overall. And I think that's, it's very likely that the Russian goalie is going to go in the top 10. Well, you question of which team does it?
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you look at a team maybe like the Ottawa Senators who may want to shock the world and do something like that. I mean, you know, They've been rumbling maybe to move the fifth overall pick, but maybe they take him with the fifth pick, or do they feel they can move up a couple spots and still be able to select Askarov, but recoup a couple maybe later draft picks as well? Um, I look at uh, the one thing that I was wondering with between uh, Quentin Byfield and Tim Stutzla, um, you look at those two players, and the only thing that I've heard about Stutzla over Byfield is Stutzla maybe uh, more NHL-ready now, um, you're right about the upside. Obviously with Quinton Byfield, he's younger, and he does have more time to grow into that frame and have another year where he's kind of behind uh, almost Alexis Lafreniere in that regard. But that was one thing that I have had heard from a couple other scouts, that you know Stutzler is a little bit more ready um, for the NHL than Byfield. I'm wondering what you think on that.
1: Well, he does have the advantage of having played professional hockey. Um, I don't think he has the size that Byfield has. Honestly, I think Wyfield has a more NHL frame um, than that Stitchley does, you know, and, and the, the caliber of the, the German, the the Bundesliga or the Dutch elite league, whatever the Deutschland elite league, whatever it's called in English, I'm not sure, the DEL, um, is not that great. Now Stitchley has has played well against his peers uh, when when he's had the opportunity, so uh, you know I don't think that you you can sort of You know, you sort of don't give him down downgrade him for for the fact that he's playing in a weak league. He was playing professional hockey at the top level in his league, in his draft year, which is not a lot of guys do that. You know, there are a lot of Swedes that do that and a lot of Finns that do that. but And he played well. And when he's played uh, against a peer age group in international competitions, he's lit it up. So uh, to say that Tim Stitchley is more NHL-ready... Um, I mean, he, I, people people can say that I don't necessarily agree with that because I think he needs a little more seasoning at um, a higher caliber professional league uh, before he can make it in the NHL. Uh, that's not to say that I think that Quentin Byfield is going to make the NHL this year. I think he probably needs at least one more year of junior, ideally. Uh, we all remember how much. Somebody like Joe Thornton struggled as an 18-year-old with Boston. Um, it is it is a, a, a huge jump. And if a player doesn't have the ability to think the game at a much higher level, and, and it, you're, you're going up two notches because you're skipping the HL. So for an 18-year-old to do that, you have to be able to think the game very quickly. Um, I don't know that either Stitchley or Byfield have that right now. And certainly Byfield has a much higher more projectable NHL frame than Tim Stisley does.
0: Well, you look at the uh, the top 10 in this draft, and obviously we're talking about Alexa Laffin maybe not being a slam dunk. Also in here, Rumble is the Rangers are listening to offers on that first overall pick. I'm wondering for you, um, you look at guys like Marco Rossi and Lucas Raymond and Cole Perfetti. um, For those three guys, obviously those seem to be the three magic balls that are in the air. Um, Maybe throw Jamie Drysdale in there as well. But you throw those balls in the air and, you know, it's basically jump ball where they fall. Um, I'm wondering for you, for the Ottawa Senators, obviously, you have stood and We talked about maybe shocking with Askarov. Um, but do you think for Ottawa at five that they go after a guy, um, you know, that doesn't go to Detroit like a Cole Perfetti or a Marco Rossi? And I'll ask an even deeper question for Detroit. Um, is the Cole Perfetti thing a slam dunk? And is that what Detroit is going to do, given all the ties and everything we've heard?
1: I, I, I don't know necessarily that it's a slam dunk that, uh, that Detroit will, will pick Cole Perfetti at four. Um, you know, they may like him. I think Cole Perfetti is a great prospect. Uh, after um, their selection of Moritz Sider at number six last year, um, <laughs> I'm ready for another De- Detroit surprise. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, everybody said last year when they took Sider at six uh, that it was a reach, that they could have traded down. And that's really where where it comes down to. Detroit, you know, everybody looks at the rankings and everybody thinks that, that all scouts see these players in the same way. But every team has preferences and every team has, has different opinions about who they think is better. So, you know, you and you may not be able to move down. You may try to move down and you think, okay, well, no, we, we can't trade down because if we go down below Anaheim, we're not going to get that guy, for example, or go down below New Jersey. Um, or, you know, Buffalo or Minnesota, that top 10, you have to look at who, who is going to be picking if you let that player go. So if, if Detroit decides that they want Cole Perfetti and they don't think that he's going to get past five, well, then they'll take him. But if they think they can trade down, you know, that's, that's certainly a possibility. Guys that I think that, you know, everybody looks at the Marco Rossi thing with Ottawa because he plays there and great prospect loves the kid but i think that the player who doesn't get enough uh consideration and i'm going to go back to the daniel alfredson uh years with ottawa everybody remembers what a great captain he was and what great player he was in ottawa um i don't think that the the fact that lucas raymond is a a swede with the same kind of game that daniel alfredson had um is, is getting enough consideration i think that that ottawa if they get lucas Raymond, they'll say hey look we've got ourselves another uh daniel alfredson in which is which is putting a lot of pressure on a kid but he, he can handle it he's he's proven that he can handle that kind of pressure and i think that uh somebody like like lucas raymond who's also a year younger than Margaret rossi which is something that i always take into consideration when you're comparing draft eligible prospects is You know, Lucas Raymond is a 17-year-old. So when I compare his performance this year to Marco Rossi, I look at Marco Rossi last year, not Marco Rossi of, of of, of, of his most recent season because it's really not fair. You're getting that extra year of junior hockey or the third year, and that's the year when a lot of junior players, especially if you're playing your third year in the league, when you take the biggest jump in terms of development and performance... You you get more ice time, more power play time, more counting stats, and a lot of those 18 year old prospects can be unfairly um, see, seen unfairly in a more favorable light because of those numbers. An exception, of course, is, is Jack Quinn, who who is truly a late bloomer. But um, you know, I, I would uh, I would think that I would, if I had to guess who Ottawa might take, I would lean more towards Lucas Raymond than Marco Rossi. That's
0: just a hunch. Well, you know, you you make a great point about Lucas Raymond because obviously, you keep hearing Cole Perfetti for Detroit, you keep hearing Marco Rossi for the Ottawa Senators, then Drysdale gets in the mix, and Lucas Raymond kind of slides out. Um, But for me, he's a name that keeps coming up with certain people that I speak with, and I think that Ottawa should take him. Um, I really hope Ottawa doesn't trade that pick. Um, I want to look at it like this for the Toronto Maple Leafs. This is a team that we cover a lot on this this podcast here. Um, with the 15th overall pick, I'm going to ask you first, do you think Toronto keeps that pick or do they trade that pick and move down in the draft? Ooh, well... Because um, we know Kyle uh, Dubas is known for doing that.
1: I think it all depends on, on you know, if it were me, um, I would wait to see who was available. Um, and, you know, this this was a, this first rounder that they've got, it is, it's a bit of a gift getting, getting, yes, getting back in, you know. And, and and he was he was really lucky to get back in the first round, considering he he lost the thirteenth to Carolina for basically taking Patrick Marlow's salary. Uh, you know, which which is which is, um, it ranks up there. It's not quite as bad as the uh, the first rounder that they gave up uh, for Tom Kerbers, which ended up being Scott Niedermeyer. Uh, but it, it 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 could be pretty bad if somebody really good falls to thirteen at Carolina, and that's certainly possible.
0: Well, ask her so, off. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? <laughs> yeah. There's,
1: there's there's some talk. There's some talking, and and the an interesting question is, the the, the Canes owner has has very famously said we're not taking any more defensemen in the first round. Uh, does I wonder if that would also apply to goaltenders? It, it remains to be seen, but. Uh, I think if Askarov is there at 13, the the Canes are going to snap him up. But to answer your question about Toronto, um, at 15, I think there's a couple really good, solid defensive defensemen who are 18 years old and are pretty close to NHL ready. And one of the things that Toronto, as everybody knows, they're in a huge cap crunch right now. So to get a guy like maybe uh, Braden Schneider is the, the the biggest uh the biggest name of that too um you know if he was available i think you know you know they could they could uh, draft him and probably plug him in in a year on an entry-level contract and get three really good value seasons of defensive play that's one of the things that braden schneider is known for solid defensive play nhl ready in terms of a you know his physique and his his mental preparation um you know, so if a guy like Braden Schneider was there, I could see Toronto taking a guy like him. Or, you know, they might just say, hey, let's let's swing for the fences and um, see, you know, take the best player available. I don't know that they would trade down. Uh, I don't see any reason why they should. They, um, but, you know, anything's possible, you know. But I think if, if, if a guy like Askarov is there or, or Braden Schneider, yeah, I could see See him or, you know, even another guy like um, Seth Jarvis. Is he from the Western Hockey League, the Portland Winterhawks? A lot of similarities uh, between his game and Mitch Marner. Um, you know, and I could see him uh, not trading down if a guy like Seth Jarvis was available.
0: Well, another player that's come up for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I'll ask you this, is Dawson Mercer. Um, I've seen a lot of drafts have him ranked in the, in the 20s, low 20s. Um, do you think Toronto would go for another forward? I mean, they seem to be having a glut of those, and, and we all know, we just talked about it, the defensive woes and what they need for, for D in Toronto. Um, do you see any link between them and Dawson Mercer? Um,
1: I, 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 he's, he's not a guy that jumps out at me as a Toronto type of player. Um, he's good. He's a good player, um, but he's not really the kind of... Um, Player that I see Toronto taking, I think they they might be more likely to go for 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 a D-man or or a a forward. You know, somebody that you know if they if they end up having to trade a contract, uh, it's more likely it's 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 going to be one of their forwards. Four forwards have the four biggest contracts on the team, and um, I'm pretty sure I think Nealander has the fourth highest contract on the team um, after Marner, Tavares, and Matthews. And um, so the, you know, the likelihood that they might need to get a cheap forward um, is, is more likely. And so getting, getting a forward who can, who can come in in, in a couple of years or, you know, they've got the, this uh, Robertson kid from Peterborough last year. I think he's a, he's a pretty good candidate to, to slip into that role.
0: Yep, you look at a player like Sta uh, yeah. or Korshikov, They got some of those young yeah. players on on entry level deals. that could slide in. Yeah,
1: yeah, but it, Mercer though is it just he it just doesn't strike me as as the kind of player that the Toronto. I mean, is he the kind of player that Toronto needs? Um, you project against Austin Mercer what he's going to be like in four or five years. Toronto. In, in the playoffs has been criticized for not having enough jam, not having enough physical players. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I can see that as a, as, a, as a good argument to make, but you don't, you don't draft a player at 18 based on your organizational need. You go out and you get a player uh, because right now, the time for Toronto to go after it is now. So you want a player that's NHL ready to do that provide that, that need, to fill that need now, rather than drafting it and waiting five years for
0: it. Well, we, we just talked a moment ago about Kyle Dubas and the love of uh, swinging for the fences, so to speak. Um, a player like Hendricks Lapierre comes to mind. I mean, obviously the neck and the concussion issues aside, um, would have been a surefire top ten pick. Um, you know, if his injury woes are behind him, um, that is a player with high-end skill, another center, obviously, but what do they always say about the NHL? You can never have too many centers. And, you know, with Tavares obviously getting older, but the big ticket contracts we just talked about, would they maybe look at that player if he's available? And would that constitute maybe a slide down in the draft and, you know, moving that 15th overall and getting a player like Hendricks Lapierre?
1: Certainly I could see them going after a player like Hendricks uh, Lapierre. Uh, they, um, something like similar happened a couple years ago when Timothy um uh, Slid. Uh, he was very highly rated a year before his draft year. Some had him in the top ten. Some even had him in the top five. Um, I think Toronto ended up getting him in the 20s. And they correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they traded down.
0: Uh, I think they got him 17th overall. Was
1: it 17th? Okay, all right. Yeah, uh, I thought it was in the low 20s, but yeah, you're right. So even still, that that's a bit of a drop for him. Uh, if they could get Hendricks left here at 15. Um, and they've done their homework uh, with the medical uh, checkout. You know, it's, uh, it's always a risk with concussions, and uh, as, as you know, in this day and age. Um, but by all accounts, Hendricks Lapierre in the preseason has looked uh, very much like the Hendrix Lapierre of old. And so he is... Uh, and that's a, the other thing, too, that is different about this draft here is some guys who might have suffered... Uh, if the draft were held in June, are now getting a chance to either redeem themselves or maybe get a leg up on some of their other uh, draft counterparts. Like Lucas Raymond uh, right now, and anybody who's getting a chance to play in Europe, uh, anybody who's getting a chance to play uh, you know, uh, in, the, in the Q League, um, has, a, has an advantage over anybody in the OHL, the WHL, or, or the NCAA.
0: No, and that, that uh, leads me into what we were talking about just before we came on, um you know i want to ask you about the q league obviously it's starting but they have new rules in place and you know i i've always wondered this you know if you take a rule and you modify it um it's different than banning it outright which we'll talk about in a minute with the ohl but the q league now is doing a uh, five minute major ten minute misconduct and two for the instigating and then if you fight more than three times you're suspended one game and then one game for each additional offense. Um, I want to ask you, do you agree with that rule change? Obviously, hockey is going away from fighting and fighting is going away, the dodo bird, as they say. But do Mm -hmm. you like the way they set that up for the Q League? And and obviously, it's a concession they had to make to get the funding, to keep the league going and keep the doors flowing and everything like that. But I'm wondering for you, um, do you like what was shaken out there for those rules?
1: Well, my, my thinking on fighting has evolved over the years. Um, I'm 52 years old now. When I was younger, um, I was, you know, uh, I, uh, my, my style of hockey was, you know, the Brendan Shanahan style of hockey. And, you know, Gary Roberts and Keith Kachuk, those were my favorite players back in the 90s. Um, the game of hockey has changed. Um, and I'm not saying that I want to completely ban fighting because I've seen the kind of hockey that can be played when fighting is not allowed. Uh, It can be pretty chippy, a lot of stick work. And one of the things that I think is really important um, that they've done with hockey is they've taken out a lot of these sort of choreographed fights. We don't see a lot of these two guys just standing, um, you know, at the face-off, giving each other, you know, the nod and, hey, you wanna go? And then they drop the gloves and those guys, Sit on the end of the bench for the rest of the game, and they only come out to do that. You know, th- th- and not to criticize those people because a lot of them were salt of the earth guys that you know, uh, you know, great, great teammates. They would do anything for their teammates. But is that really the kind of hockey that we want? You know, hockey fights that are organic, that come out of the intense competitive nature of the game, I have no problem with. Um, I think it's really important. Uh, as well, that you keep the instigator. That's one of the things that I think, you know, a lot of people didn't like that rule, but I think what's as important about the instigator is if you're going to, there's this unwritten code or rule in hockey, um, and the problem is that it's unwritten. So no, nobody really sort of administers, you know, what's right or what's wrong. There's no judge. It's just whatever you, think. so if, if you see a clean body check, perfectly clean legal body check by a player and then a bigger person a bigger player on the other team comes in and starts a fight just because that person made a good body check I I happen to disagree with that as a code because if the hit is cleaned I, I, I argue the code should not allow for somebody who's bigger to come in and start a fight so that's why I like the instigator rule. Uh, if it hits dirty, totally different story. So what the Quebec League has done, and I understand that they've had the you know, the, um, the financial pressure, and they need that, because especially in Quebec, they're not allowed to have any fans in the rinks. Unlike here, uh, where I live in Nova Scotia, so we're, you know, in the, the six maritime teams, they, we're in the Atlantic bubble, as it's called. So Teams like the Halifax Mooseheads, for example, uh, they're allowed to have about 2,000 fans in the in the rink. It's a big arena, 10,000 seat capacity, but 2,000 is much less than 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 10,000. Uh, but it's still a lot more than the Quebec League teams are allowed, which is nothing. So they need the money if they want the league to survive, um, you know, financially through this season. Um, I, I see that they have really no choice to make. And, and the rule that they've imposed in the Quebec League, to me, is not that drastic a change. It's certainly not as drastic as what's being proposed in, in Ontario right now,
0: which is to completely
1: ban it. And they even talk, I even heard somebody talk about banning body checking, which I think is ludicrous.
0: Yeah, um, well, I mean, if you look uh, at I mean, the proposed for the OHL, if you take out body checking, you first have to ask, okay, is this a short-term thing because of COVID? And are you signing on for this to happen and be the way that you do things for the year? Or is this permanent? If it's permanent, I cannot see the OHL going for it. I mean, it's ludicrous. You're, you're taking away yeah. the, the very aspect of the game. And I brought up the the cue the because they're at least allowing fights to still happen. My concern here is you take fighting out of this level, but you still allow it in the AHL and the NHL. Then what happens when a guy who is new to the league comes up and there's a seasoned guy who is known to be a little rough and tumble, we'll throw Tom Wilson's name out there, comes in and mixes it up with a guy and pops him in the chops. But he doesn't know how to defend himself. And next thing you know, we're getting, well, Tom Wilson shouldn't have gone after him. The guy didn't know how to fight. You know, he came up at a time where there's no fighting in the Q or the O. You know, this is ridiculous. You know, I think it should still be there in a sense. Like the Q has it still. I know there's obviously huge detriments not to do it. But you have it there. So those guys still have the ability to muck it up and and understand what getting popped in the chops is like and not getting it for the first time when you get to the big dance or the AHL or whatever league you go to. You know what I mean? I I think you have to prepare these young guys for those kind of things and removing body checking and then fighting completely like the OHL is being proposed from the Ontario government, I think that's absolutely insanity and I think you you set that league up for failure if you do so. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I I can... You know, I, I, I think players know, uh, you know, when they go up a level and they haven't don't have that experience, they tend to, they tend to not um, get into situations like that, and that's one of the reasons why I think the instigator penalty is so important. Is that you, it, 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 it's a deterrence for situations like that where a player uh, can 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 you know say I just I just know that I'm not capable of of standing in there with a guy who's an experienced fighter. Um, so situations like that, where a guy like Tom Wilson will go after somebody, if he knows that he's going to put his team down a man, he might be less likely to do that. And that's why I think the instigator rule is so important. Um, because honestly, if a player hasn't done something that's dirty, I don't think that they have to answer the bell. You know, my, that's 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 probably you know where my thinking has has changed a great deal. There are some players out there that there's no reason for them to be fighting. And in fact, I think it's foolish for a lot of them to be fighting. Not that I have a problem with fighting, uh, but I think it's not for every player. So I don't think that a, a skilled player who's going to help his team by doing anything but fight should have to be involved in a fight unless they've done something dirty to another player. So, you know, I, you know, but body checking is a whole other level. And, you know, if I think you could easily ban fighting for a year as a temporary measure uh, or put strict penalties on it if you're banning body checking i think you're changing the game too much Uh, and you're almost better off not not playing (laughs) because developmentally um you're asking the players to basically play pond hockey which i guess you could argue is better than nothing um I, i i just think that you're you're changing the game way too much. I, I don't know how how you would how you would police that. Like, what's the what is the difference like from a public? And I understand why they're doing it for for, for health for health reasons. But what is the difference between two players jostling for position in front of the net and a body check?
0: Yep. Made
1: You know. So so are we gonna are we gonna are we not gonna have uh, you know people fighting for a loose puck against the boards or fighting for position in front of the net, you know, you can't, this, this concept of social distancing, if if you're going to let players play, then, and, and the reason why you're, you're banning body checking is for, for, for fears of spreading coronavirus. Well, there's a long list of other hockey plays other than a body check that should also be, Taken out of the game if you're doing it for safety reasons, and if you're going to do that, then I think you have to really look at: is it safe to be playing this game at all?
0: That's well. Right, that's where they're leaning towards. I mean, obviously, we all know COVID and we, the severity of it. But I mean, if these players are being tested, and it's being done within you know confines of, of their own rink, and uh, there's so many different things that you could see them not allowing. But I mean, if you're allowing groups of whatever to gather and different things to happen. These are the next steps you take, and body checking is part of hockey. I mean, I don't know. What are you going to not allow, uh, you know, well, he passed the puck, and, you know, his stick was handled by him, and who knows how of that stick. You know, he grabbed the puck, and, oh, his glove came off, and he grabbed it with a bare hand. You know, could you blow play dead and sanitize? I mean, is that where we're going? I think you need to, to let the flow go. Um, and obviously these players, like I said, are being tested, so. Obviously, you see what other leagues do when positive tests come through and you move forward from there. But to sit and say that you're not going to allow this and allow that and this is the way the game has to be played now, I think it, A, it would put the OHL at a disadvantage fan-wise, and B, I think it would put players at a disadvantage to their peers who, who play with body checking and, and other parts like that because that will be prevalent in other leagues and you will have to go up against that. And you may see players opt not to play in the O and may opt to go play in the queue mm. or the dub, and or go to NCAA route or wherever, but they may avoid the the O if that ends up being what's handed down, no body contact, which is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Another, uh, you know, very common uh, play is the, the face-off, you know? Are we going to have to have socially distant face-offs?
0: Oh, man. Two guys <laughs> yeah, standing yeah, there with yeah. their <laughs> sticks at, at chest length battling to get the puck. Yeah, yeah. and
1: yeah. And, and, and we've all seen, you know, um, you know, anytime a flu bug gets a team, um, most of the team gets it. So, you know, it, it comes to the point where it's it's not so much what you can do to change the game, it's should you be even playing it at all. So when you've got the, when you've got coronavirus and an outbreak, I don't think that you can really change the nature of the game enough to make it safe. I think you need to shut it down. Yeah, that's
0: the way to do it I think that is and I I think if players want to take it into their own hands and maybe come out somewhere like the queue where right now out here in the Atlantic bubble it's definitely a lot safer than other places to be playing these games and doing these things where the caseload is low I think that players should be allowed to uh, to move if they're going to but it's it's a it's a new world we live in it's you know everything's different everything's new everything's fresh and everything's gonna come at you at a 100 miles an hour and you now have to react and figure it out and a lot of it's gonna be done on the fly and I hope that this decision at least for the OHL is taken seriously and, and they take the time and they don't just do a knee jerk to get back on the ice because it could seriously uh seriously ruined the game i'd say to make it layman's terms but i want to switch gears for for a moment i mean we've been talking about the draft and talking about the o and the q um i want to let everybody know who you are and what you've covered and what you've done so what, where'd you get your start in hockey and what struck that match for you
1: well my you know, as, as my, like any canadian kid i was uh very um you know very much a passionate hockey player uh you know, played a lot of pond hockey. I grew up in, I was born in Ontario and grew up in Montreal. Um, spent a lot of time on, on the uh, suburban ice rinks of, of Montreal. Um, earliest hockey memory, um, you know, watching the Montreal Canadiens uh, host the Stanley Cup in 78, 79. And, and my first big draft uh, experience was going to the Montreal Forum in 1984 when Mario Lemieux was drafted first overall. Um and then uh, hearing the buzz in the crowd when the Montreal Canadiens moved up, they had a couple high picks in the first round uh, that, that year. So, it really caught the bug that year with, uh, when I went to the draft with my brother Jim, who is a um, longtime um, OHL uh, observer uh, and has been, you know, he and I would, would exchange draft reports. Uh, he would send me a bunch of draft reports on OHL guys, and I would send him draft reports on Quebec League guys when I was growing up in Quebec and uh, that's sort of something that I just did the love of it until I started working as a reporter at the Daily News uh, in Halifax started covering uh, hockey back in 1998 covered a year of university hockey and then started covering the Halifax Mooseheads the year the first year that they hosted the Memorial Cup back in 1999 and covered the team for four years and while I was there um, made a connection with uh, Chabot Cormier who was one of the founders of uh, International Scouting Services, uh, a hockey scouting service that was started in Ananganish and uh, now operates as ISS Hockey um, out of Ontario. And uh, had a great run with them. I was doing a lot of uh, editing of their scouting reports and and what I did as a journalist for for them. I was writing profiles and got to interview a bunch of players that. I never probably would have had access to as a journalist, uh, um, you know, working for the Daily News and Halifax, because I would never have a reason to write about them. Um, I remember, you know, interviewing guys like uh, uh, Ryan O'Reilly, Victor Hedman, and uh, James Van Riemsdyk and Patrick Kane and all these guys, and it's really fun now to, to watch them uh, go on to become superstars in the NHL and win the Conn Smythe Trophy and uh, Norris Trophy and. MVP awards and Art Ross trophies. It's, uh, as a hockey fan and someone who really enjoys watching a, a player go from teenager to a star in the NHL, um, it's really rewarding to have had that experience.
0: No, it would be really interesting to sit down and, and speak with them before they are what they become. Um, I have to ask, I mean, you just named a bunch of, of players there. For you, is there one player that when you interviewed him or you spoke with that sticks out in your mind, you're like, this guy here, this guy here is going to be something, and maybe there was a little bit of buzz around him, but not a you know a genuine like this is a superstar. Just one guy that you can maybe pick out and say, "I knew this guy was going to go."
1: Thirteen-year-old <laughs> uh, Sidney Crosby. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a when pretty I, easy Jack.
1: When I interviewed Sidney, he was thirteen years old, and he was uh, he had uh, just finished uh, torching the uh, Bantam League. Uh, as an underager, he always played as an underager, and he had gone to the Dartmouth Subways camp as a 13-year-old. He had a scrawny little—I think he was five six, 140 pounds or something—not very big. And I remember interviewing him. He had, he had basically made the team, and uh, Brad Crosley, who was then the coach of the of the Subways, uh, said, "You know, he, he made the team. He legit made the team, but he wasn't." Old enough to play in the midget league, so he asked for permission. And I remember interviewing him at the time about why he wanted to do it. And the maturity level in, in the answers that he gave um, as a 13 year old, um, I remember being completely blown away and so impressed by the maturity level and his focus on what he needed to do and what he not just what he wanted to do but what he needed to do uh was what impressed me the most and so he didn't get the approval he ended up playing another year of bantam and then he ended up you know uh leading his team to the air canada cup the next year and then going on to St. Mary's but when everybody was saying you know a lot of people were criticizing him saying he wasn't good enough he wasn't big enough he wasn't fast enough and all that I always knew that he would do whatever he needed to develop and get better. Because that's what he spoke about when he was 13 years old. And I knew that he had a love for the game. And, and even then, he, you know, he was, um, was a talented player. But the other thing that sticks out for me, uh, when I was working at the Daily News, one of my, one of my bosses, uh, before I worked in sports, I worked in business as a business reporter and the business editor, uh, at the time, he's since passed away. It was Don McLeod and he was a, a referee assigner in minor hockey. And I remember him telling me that when Sidney Crosby was playing novice hockey novice hockey. <laughs> he had heard all the buzz about this kid. And so he assigned he's I gotta I gotta see what this is all about. So he assigned himself to a game where Sidney Crosby was playing because he wanted to see firsthand. Now I have never been a hockey referee, but I can't imagine there's any better seat in the house than being a referee. You know, if you if you because uh, you have to follow the play.
0: Yep, you have, you have to be watch it. right yep. there
1: with the puck. Um, so you're not just watching, but you're 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 immersing yourself in the game. Uh, and if you're if you're able to do that, um, uh, what a treat that would be. So he he did that, and I, mean, I remember him telling me that even as, as a novice player, Sidney Crosby was thinking the game at such an advanced level, two, three steps ahead of every other player on the ice. And and that also stuck with me. Um, so that's you know that's probably, you know, I would have to rank that up. There was, if not my most favorite, certainly one of my most favorite memories and interviews of, of, of seeing a young player and then being pretty certain that he was going to be i never imagined he was going to be the player he became but i was pretty certain he was going to make it to the nhl and be a productive player well uh, he's he's he, he he owes um you know all he takes he should deserve all the credit for for working and developing his talents which were there because he has a very dedicated uh fitness regimen in the offseason and that's That's what's helped him be the great player that
0: he is. Well, I mean, is there any other player other than Wayne Gretzky that comes to your mind, I mean, that is just bred to play hockey? I mean, Sidney Crosby, you you can talk about the, you know, shooting the pucks into the dryer. You can talk about all the different things that he's done. But, I mean, at the end of the day, this guy is, you know, he's built to play hockey. Absolutely 100% built to play hockey. And to hear those stories, I mean, of making the team but not being old enough and not getting permission. And obviously we know what happens with heading off to Shattucks and and the rest of the story goes from there. But to get to see that at that age and just the poise, I mean, he's so groomed, right? And, I mean, we look now and a lot of guys are groomed with their answers and stuff like that. But just I've heard stories just the way he answered things like you were just saying, you know, it's just another level. It was like speaking to someone who's played the game for so long but it's just so young. And you're like, wow, how are, how are you answering that? How are you, how are you coming out this way? Sometimes, you know, with hockey players, they're, they're lost to find the words, and he's just able to rattle it off top of his head, knows exactly, you know, what he needs to work on, what he needs to do, and how to get better. And it's like, whoa, you're 13, 14, 15 years old. This is insane.
1: Yeah, yeah, very impressive. Definitely um, built to play hockey. And I can't think of, of, anybody, of anybody else who... Um, who 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 even comes close? You know, from my perspective, from what I've seen, uh, that's not to say that there aren't other people, but there, you know, there's there's certainly some great uh, young hockey player prospects out there, and it's fun to see some of the uh, some of the younger kids now. Uh, the kids getting exceptional status in, in, you know, in the OHL, like Shane Wright and Connor Bedard out west, in in, in the WHL. Um, but you know, Sidney Crosby was definitely a special kid and um you know you could uh you know one of the other things that that impressed me when i and i should have mentioned this earlier when he was 13 and i was and i was doing that story about him trying to become a um uh, you know get it get it it's granted special status or an exemption to play midget hockey as a a double underager um his maturity level it, it went beyond hockey you know he was um you know i remember. His, um, one of his teachers speaking very highly of him about how he you know when he was he was a 13 year old superstar in terms of you know minor hockey and his where he grew up he was a, he was a superstar everybody knew his name but he didn't let that get to his head and he would go to the the learning center in his school in his junior high and and he would just hang out with the people there you know when he had a if he had a free class or if it was lunchtime or recess and that meant the world to those kids and um because everybody wanted to be able to talk to sydney everybody wanted to be sydney's friend and he to, for him to make the time to do that told me a lot about him as a person and you know, I'm not saying that Sidney Crosby is a perfect person who's never made a mistake and never done anything wrong. Don't him i am not going to go there. It, you know, but when when I when I heard about that, uh, that to me said a lot about him as a person. Yep. Um, and uh, it, that stuck out with me as well. And and he's—he's um, he's a very community-minded person, and uh, I just knew that that he was going to make it. I just knew it.
0: Well, one story that always sticks out to me: there was a sign. I think it was in Elmsdale. Um, and a guy had a sign on his lawn. And, and For whatever, I think it was seen either by the high, from the highway or an airplane or a helicopter. Something that Sidney Crosby was in. And Buddy put it out because he knew that's where Sidney would be going by. And it was something <laughs> like, you know, I'm a huge fan or something and would love to see the cup. And he had something that he, he couldn't go and go to the parade or whatever. And Crosby on the way back, I think it was an elderly gentleman, Crosby on the way back actually detoured and stopped at his house with the cup. And spent, I think it was about an hour with the guy. And you know, oh, just great. you know, so that goes to what you just talked about, right? He's always looking for those things and always trying to make sure that he's making everybody's day and, and, and giving as much of his time and of himself that he possibly can. And that goes back into everything, though. Like, we're talking about these young players about to come into the NHL. You need to be the whole package. It's not just skill and finesse and being able to play on the ice. You also need to carry yourself off the ice and carry yourself in a way that makes not only the team proud, but your community you're from proud and the community you play in proud. So, you know, a guy like Sidney Crosby really sets the bar super high. And another guy that's coming in his footsteps, I think, is Connor McDavid. And, you know, he's coming the same length. You know, he's he does the things in the community and... He's always out there, and he definitely can play the game on the ice. So I like that we had a player like Sidney Crosby come through and set that bar so high with the gentlemanly-like conduct. And, you know, hopefully a lot of other guys take on to that and it catches on. But, you know, he still knows how to have fun. He still knows how to uh, to shake it out and have a good time. I mean, we all do. But like you said, nobody's perfect, and nobody ever will be. And if you can show me a perfect person, I'll show you a liar. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I wanna I wanna say, you know, very very much, thank you much for taking the time to jump on. Um, there's one last question I gotta ask you. I ask everybody this who's ever covered hockey, has there ever been a player that you sat and said, This guy is going to be a guy and you put the the Van Horn stamp on him and said, This guy is my player, he's gonna make it and everybody else for whatever reason just said, No no, that's not a guy that's gonna go very far and I know I've had a couple stories so far, um, you know, of Corey Perry and then uh, Ryan Miller. I'm wondering for you, um, who's that guy for you? Hmm. Hmm.
1: Well, um, let me think. You mean who had made it in the NHL? It would have to be, um... Well, you already said his name, actually. Uh, Corey Perry, you know, is a guy. um, My brother, Jim, uh, told me all about him Uh, as a 16-year-old. Came in and, um, you know, skinny kid, not the greatest skater. Um, He ended up being a late first rounder in a very deep draft year, and he kind of got, I think he was, you know, just nobody ever, and everybody hates him. No, well, unless, he, you're, unless, unless you're a teammate you're of his. <laughs> his. Unless you're on his team, you hate him. <laughs> um, but he's made a career out of uh, just being uh, a real, you know, and, and I and I have to confess, I I, um, I have a, a separate interest in hockey, just from a purely academic uh, a hockey fan uh, perspective. I'm in a hockey pool, and I remember drafting it's a keeper league, a very deep keeper league and we're allowed to draft anybody. So, for example, Sidney Crosby was drafted in our league as a 14-year-old before he was even drafted in the in a Quebec league. So, it's pretty crazy the research that some of these guys do. You know, we are we are we take hockey nerds to to the next level.
0: That sounds so, like so much fun. I just have to interrupt you. I I would love to be a <laughs> part of something like that. That is amazing.
1: Well, if we're ever looking for another GM, uh, I'll, I'll definitely get in touch with you. Yeah, hundred um, percent. But the um, Corey Perry was a kid who, you know, somebody uh, somebody offered me something for Corey Perry, uh, which didn't really reflect his value. Like he, it was almost like I was just giving almost giving him Corey Perry. I remember saying to him at the time, "He's like, are you kidding me? Corey Perry? No, he's he's worth way more than that." So, you know, uh, he was a guy who uh really made something he made a career out of being willing to go to the tough areas and then having the hands and the wherewithal to stick with it and t- take all that punishment that you get in those tough areas those dirty areas of the ice that not everybody's willing to go to um and i think he was you know he 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 doesn't have the. He's got a good shot and he's a good stick handler, but he doesn't have the greatest physical tools. Like when you look at him, he doesn't really look like a hockey player. But he's produced, and he's um, he's he made a good career out of it and won the Hart Trophy, scored 50 goals. So, I, um, you, you know, he 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 would be that guy. You know, that the, the the guy who ended up doing the best, um, more more than I ever thought he could.
0: No, I like Corey Perry, and you're, you're right, he's that player that when you watch the game a la Tom Wilson or the Chuck brothers, or, you know, you look at the the guys that always are under people's skin, you know, he's one of those guys that knows how to agitate, knows how to go to the line, um, sometimes crosses it, but used to be able to put the points up, you know, he's getting later in years, and the points are on the decline, but he's still very, very, very much that agitated force, and you want him on your squad, and, I was hoping the Leafs would have took a run at them last year and got him on board, but you never know. But uh, I want to thank you very much for taking the time and talking draft hockey with me. Um, I look forward to, to having you on. Uh, maybe when everything gets geared up for the NHL and we can see where these young guys are going and if they're making rosters.
1: Happy to come back. I always love talking hockey.
0: All right, sir. Well, thank you very much. You have yourself a wonderful day.
1: Thanks for having me on. Take care. All Take right.
0: Care. So, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. That is Ryan Van Horn. As you heard, he covered the Mooseheads, he's covered the International Scouting Services, did the profiles for them. So he has been entrenched in hockey for a very long time. And, of course, we get to talk about the players coming in the league. So this is Offside Hockey Talk, and I say it every time, but this is where hockey comes to talk.